what we sort of figured out through that was that we were making most of our money through product sales as opposed to the service. Um, and a service is quite hard to scale as well. Um, so we were looking at, you know, maybe doing a franchise model of the store or opening up more stores in the city and sort of other locations. But it was just really staff heavy and the staff were a nightmare, if I'm honest. There was lots of them and they were really difficult to manage. Um, so we sort of thought like, let's, well, originally it was kind of like, we need to find like a high end sort of men's brand to sell in the store because um, that's where we'd make most of our money. And then we just couldn't find one. They just, it just didn't exist. Um, at the time, we were selling like American Crew um, and Kevin Murphy was out as well. But that sort of that was probably a little bit feminine for our guys. Um, and then we searched and searched and searched and just couldn't find a brand out there that we wanted to sell. So we thought, fuck it, let's just make our own. Um, and that was sort of what spawned the whole product thing, you know, to where we are now. Hey, what's up? It's your boy Charles here. And in today's interview, I have with me Patrick Kidd, the founder of Patrick's, one of the leading men's grooming companies, well, probably globally, I would say. Um, but we'll let uh, Patrick tell us more uh, in this interview. Uh, Patrick, how's it going, my friend? Good, man. Good, good. Thank you for having me. That was a very professional no introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I try, I try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, like it. Yeah. How's things over in, uh, you, you're, you're in Australia, right? Yeah, I'm in Bondi Beach, as you can probably see. I pulled the blinds because it's actually really sunny and I didn't know if it would like mess up the camera. Uh, but yeah, good, yeah. man. I snuck out of the office early to do this. Uh, I've got the house to myself That's and tough. it's um, all good. Yeah. Well, honoured, uh, yeah, honoured to, to have you on. Um, really, I just wanted to, you know, I guess, uh, firstly start with, you know, how you got started with Patrick's. Uh, I know that you've got kind of a, a fascinating story, uh, from kind of electrician turns, um, you know, into this, into this, you know, like I say, global, global business, uh, within the, the men's grooming space. Um, so, you know, I guess in your own words, like, could you tell us like, you know, how you got started, uh, what gave you the inspiration to get started, um, and we can kind of go off on any tangent that you yeah. want, really. Yeah, man, yeah, no worries. Well, how long have we got so I know how to, like, compress this? Because <laughs> it's kind of like... We've got as much time yeah. or, you know, as much time yeah, as you, yeah. you've got available, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I guess, like, it's sort of... I mean, it's hard to summarise, you know, 15 or 20 years into a couple of minutes, but I'll give it my best. But um, long story short, I was an electrician um, for a long time, for about 10 years. Um, and that was because in school, I kind of preferred, you know, surfing and sport and hanging out with girls and everything else and not doing any schoolwork. Um, so I didn't get a great mark at the end of it, um, which didn't, which allowed, you know, I didn't get to go to university then. Um, so that sort of forced me into being a tradesman. Um, and, you know, the electrical thing was kind of, what I thought sort of best of a bad bunch and no offense to any sparkies out there. Um, a lot of them or most of them I know all drive Lamborghinis and have 10 houses. Um, so they do all right, but it just wasn't for me. You know, I, I just didn't like it. It wasn't like what I wanted to do in my life. I did it kind of because I, there was nothing else. Um, the, the positives of it were that it, it allowed me to travel. Um, and as soon as I got my sort of ticket, 
I went over to the UK um, and I was there for about three years um, working and traveling over there. And it, man, I got, was getting paid so much money back in the day that, you know, I could travel as a young kid, I could travel all around the world and go skiing and surfing and, you know, everywhere, like you could imagine across Europe and America yeah. and had a ball. Um, and I'm sort of always thankful for it for that. Um, and then I met my wife in, in the UK, that was in 2021, uh, sorry, 20, 2001. So that's like, yeah. that's a long time ago, like 23 years ago or something. Um, and and she's English. In the UK. Oh, she's English. Sorry? Yeah, so yeah. yeah I met her in, in London. Yeah. London. Yeah. Yeah. We met at the, um, at the Slug and Lettuce in Fulham, which is um, affectionately oh, yeah, known yeah. as the Slut and Legless. <laughs> But, um, yeah, we've been yeah. sort of inseparable ever since, her and I. So that's um, area full of as well. Yeah, it was great. It was a bit shit back yeah. then, but now it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, man, we sort of, we met over there and then travelled back. She came back to Australia with me, back to Sydney. Um, and, again, I was sort of working as an electrician and she was, she was a lawyer. Um, so she was working here for a couple of law firms. Um, and then... We sort of had this crazy idea to do like, like a like a luxury men's barbershop. Essentially, um, it was sort of hard. To, it's hard to describe because it wasn't really a salon and it wasn't really a barbershop. Um, it was it was yeah. It was it was like a hairdresser's for men, I guess you'd say. But we, okay. I um, I'd bought a place when I was like eighteen down the south coast where I'm from of New South Wales, and it was super cheap, man. I bought this like little one bedroom unit that. I think it cost me 60,000 Australian dollars at the time, which is nothing. Um, and I, you got a, a first home buyer's grant from the government. So they gave me 7,000. So I, I borrowed 53,000 from the bank, which over 35 years is like $10 a week. It was like nothing. Um, so I bought that place sort of before I went traveling. Um, and then when I came back, the property market had gone way up and it was probably worth about 250. Um, so what I did was I remortgaged that and just basically borrowed $200,000 from the bank, um, to set up the, this sort of concept hairdresser thing in Bondi. Um, and you know, and everyone said it wouldn't work and that no one would pay that amount of money for a haircut and sort of blah, 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 gave it the usual. Um, and then man, we opened up this store and it took off. Like it really took off. It, it became like infamous I'd almost say um half the people didn't know what it was lots of people thought it was a strip club or a, you know like some like we where prostitutes are or I don't know what they thought because what we did is we kind of blacked out the whole thing so it was and only because I wanted guys to feel sort of private in there so like if they were getting their hair cut um it was right on a street corner in in out the front of Westfield so it was a really busy spot um yeah. but I didn't want guys to be embarrassed being in a hairdresser's right or a, a barbershop so I blacked out all the windows, but then that created this kind of like club vibe where no one really knew what was going on in there. And there was all these like rumors and you know, all that sort of shit. People thought um, and we had, yeah, yeah. We had, we had like a, a fully licensed bar. Um, you know, we were the first hairdresser in the country to have a, a licensed bar so I could sell alcohol. Um, and then because of the demographic, it was sort of drug dealers to brain surgeons and everything in between. Um, because it was such an expensive haircut. Um, and it was a real experience for the guys, you know, like they'd walk in, someone would take their coat, they'd get ushered over to the bar, they could have a drink or, you know, a coffee or whatever. Um, and then there was this like really sort of epic waiting area where they could, you know, at the time, like this is how long ago it was, like plasma TVs were a big deal. Um, <laughs> and we had like four of them on the wall. Um, and, you know, people would come in just to see these plasmas. 
Um, and then they'd sit down and then they'd get an amazing haircut and sort of long haired massages and all that kind of stuff. And like British American Tobacco sponsored the place because um, just because of the, the demographic of guy that we had. So they'd give us like cigars and cigarettes and okay, everything else. Um, and we'd just give that to the guys, right? Um, so they loved it. And then like we had deals with Ducati and Lamborghini and they would put cars and motorbikes and stuff in the store. And um, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy shop. And we ran that for about nine years. But what we sort of figured out through that was that we were making most of our money through product sales as opposed to the service. Um, and a service is quite hard to scale as well. Um, so we were looking at, you know, maybe doing a franchise model of the store or opening up more stores in the city and sort of other locations. But it was just really staff heavy and the staff were a nightmare, if I'm honest. There was lots of them and they were really difficult to manage. Um, so we sort of thought like, let's, well, originally it was kind of like, we need to find like a high end sort of men's brand to sell in the store. Um, Cause that's where we'd make most of our money. And then we just couldn't find one. They just, it didn't exist. Um, at the time we were selling like American crew um, and Kevin Murphy was out as well, but that sort of, that was probably a little bit feminine for our guys. Um, and then we searched and searched and searched and just couldn't find a brand out there that we wanted to sell. So we thought, fuck it, let's just make our own. Um, and that was sort of what spawned the whole product thing, you know, to where we are now. Um, we, we, we spent like a long time trying to develop the products in Australia um, and couldn't get any labs to kind of make them to the, to the level that we wanted them to be at. Um, and then eventually Amy, my wife, um, who's the CEO of the business now, um, she found a lab in uh, Miami and okay. we'd found out that they had done an equity deal with um, Tony and Guy back in the day when, before they'd done Label M and TG and all these other things. And we kind of thought, well, shit, if they've done one, you know, equity deal, maybe they'll do another one. So we rang them and emailed them and rang them and emailed them and like, you know, every day for months and months and months and they just never ring back. That's probably the hardest part of like starting a product brand um, if you're in like, you know, cosmeceuticals or hair care or skincare or whatever it is, is trying to get the big labs to work with a startup. They just don't want to do it, right? There's too many of them. They 99.9% .9 of them never get to market. So they don't want to spend all this sort of time and money manufacturing a product or making a really good product that's never going to go anywhere. So they just don't answer calls. They don't answer emails. Half of them don't even have a website. You know, they don't need it. Um, so in the end, we just, we couldn't get hold of these guys, but everyone in the, that I knew in the industry kind of said that they were the best. Um, so we jumped on a plane and, and flew to Miami and just sort of knocked on the door and they let me in. And as I was talking to the receptionist, um, the CEO, Mike Bass, like walked down the main set of stairs, um, at the front office and, I'd left him so many voicemails. He must have just recognised my voice, and he was like, "Oh, you're, you're not Patrick, are you?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, Mike." And he was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "He's like, well, what are you doing here?" Um, and I was like, "Man, look, just give me five minutes. Let me explain this this thing to you. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, all good. Like we're in Miami, we'll have a good time either way." Um, and he was like, "All right, come in." And and that was probably at like ten o'clock in the morning. Um, and we left the meeting at like seven p.m. that night. Um, so they loved it. It was, it was completely different in the market. It was the first, you know, really high end, really high performance men's brand that they had ever worked on. Um, and they were excited about it because we kind of, there was no budget for anything. So it wasn't like, you know, we're going to make this, we need to make this product product for $2. Um, it just wasn't like that. It was like, Hey, we want to make the best product on the planet. Don't worry about how much it costs. Just make that first. And then we'll figure out the pricing later. 
Um, so that's kind of how it all started. And then they developed the, we, we, they developed products pretty quickly. And then we tested those in the shop, um, you know, on sort of two or 300 guys a week. Um, and we tested those for about three or four years before the formulas were kind of like really, really bang on. Um, and then Ladove, that was the company in Miami, the formulations company, they, we were trying to find a packaging company in Sydney or anywhere really to make the packaging. We had custom packaging, which is, I find much, it looks way better than say a standard package that you can buy off the shelf. Cause if you get a standard package, you can really only change like colorways and graphics and things like that. Um, so it just looks kind of like everything else on the shelf. Um, so we were like, look, we've got this really unique design we wanted to do for the styling products and the shampoos and conditioners. Um, so then they introduced us to a company called Berlin Packaging, who are in Chicago. Um, and again, we just wouldn't have got in the door if it wasn't for Ladove. So Mike Bass from Ladove flew with us from Miami to Chicago, met with Berlin Packaging, got us the intro. Um, those guys were obviously all stoked about the project because it was sort of something completely different. And, and again, like sort of pushing the limits of what's possible in the packaging world. Um, and I think that packaging, you know, was one of the big reasons the brand kind of took off the way it did back in the day um, was that it looked so different and it was so sort of expensive and cool and functional and beautiful and everything else. Um, and it won a bunch of design awards, but then, you know, the product is obviously pretty amazing itself. So we, we kind of, you know, stumbled across something pretty, pretty good. And the brand's ethos was always kind of like we're, we're not reinventing the wheel. We just we just try and do everything better. Um, and it's that simple. It sounds cliche or whatever, but it's it is that simple. Um, you know, there was four or five products on the market that we really liked, like styling products, and there was a couple of shampoos and a couple of conditioners. And we just sort of simplified it, and we're like, all right, well, what do guys really want? You know, in styling products, it's usually you. You know, you want a match product or a shiny product, and that's the only real difference. And then you've got levels of hold in that matte one or in the shiny one. So we had like M1, M2, M3, and S2, and the M was for matte, S for shiny, one, two, three, light, medium, strong. So it, it wasn't complicated for guys. Um, they weren't trying to remember names like forming creams and fibers and defining pastes and pomades and all that shit. No one cares about it. Um, and they would come into the store, guys, and be like, oh, Pat, you know, I need to get some products. I'll be like, cool, man, do you remember what brand? And they'd be like, oh, fuck, oh, I don't know. Um, and I'd be, do you remember what colour it was? And they'd be like, oh, I think it was like blue or something. Or, And they just wouldn't remember that stuff, right? So I, in two questions, I could give them the right product really fast. So I'd just say, do you like matte or shiny? And they'd usually say matte. And then I'd say, do you like light, medium or strong? And they'd be like, ah, oh, maybe medium. And I'd be like, cool, take that. So that was sort of the simplifying of the names and everything like that. Um, BMW will probably sue me one day for using M2 and M3 and M1 and all that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. So and, then, and, then, and the shampoos and conditioners were kind of exactly the same. It was like a wall of shampoos and conditioners if you go into most places, right? And it's just not that complicated for guys. You've either got thin hair or thick hair. That's usually the split. And then you've got a very different product for each one. Um, so we had a shampoo and a conditioner for thinner hair and a shampoo and a conditioner for thicker hair. Um, and that was it. And then... Weirdly, when we were sort of working on that, it was like, all right, well, how do we make a shampoo and conditioner better? And obviously the first thing was fragrance. So we kind of went after the Tom Fords and everything else and, you know, benchmarked them as colognes in the actual product. Um, and then the performance side of it was like, if you have thicker hair, you want something that just gets everything out in one wash, you know, including like big, thick, heavy clays and pastes and stuff like that. Like if you've got thick hair, you're usually using like a clay or something that's not water soluble. Okay. So you can get that shit out in one wash. 
but then you need a conditioner that's really, really conditioning and moisturizing. Um, so whereas like the thin hair version, um, guys that have thinner or lighter hair just don't use that much product, right? Um, so they don't need all those cleansing agents and everything else, but they need a bunch of thickening stuff. Um, and then same on the conditioner. Um, so that was sort of the split, but then it was like, all right, well, how do we make that even better? And it was then the hair loss sort of thing came into it where it was like, there was a bunch of ingredients out there that we could use, um, that basically stopped your hair from falling out, you know, or helped do that. Um, and they were incredibly expensive. Um, but we thought, fuck it, let's just put them in. Um, you know, as, as me and, and most guys, like, Sort of, it's it's sort of fifty to seventy percent of men will, you know, lose their hair at some at some stage, and that's from like twenty five onwards. It starts young, um, and the stats get higher and higher and higher as they get older. Um, you know, and I'm getting to that age. I'm forty five, so it's sort of like it's going to happen to me sooner or later. Um, but I can I can stop it. You know, it's like if I use a shampoo and a conditioner, and prevention is way better than cure and all that. And and that was the thing where like. We had design, we had performance, we had killer packaging, we had hair loss, we had fragrance, you know, every, it was all, everything was just sort of turned up to 11. Um, and then Mr. Porter, like, came along with, like, Netta Porter, Mr. Porter, where they were selling luxury stuff online, and they hadn't, they hadn't had, like, a grooming brand before. Um, and we thought, rather than trying to work our way up from sort of barbershops to salons to chemists to drugstores to then department stores and everything else, like working your way up the hierarchy. Well, like, let's just launch the brand straight from the top. Um, and we got in contact with Mr. Porter and they liked the concept and they had, they didn't have any grooming products or anything online. Um, and they, they told us to come over to New York and we pitched it to them and then, then it just blew up from there. They, they loved it in the meeting and they signed us up and um, we launched with Mr. Porter in the US and the UK. And then, that led to Selfridges in the UK. Um, and then it's easy, man. It's easy going down, right? So once you get Mr. Porter, we've got Selfridges. Once you get Selfridges, you get Harrods. Once you get Harrods, you get Harvey Nicks. Once you get Harvey Nicks, you get, you know, the rest of them. It, the, the, the sort of falls into place. And you're saying no to stores more than you're, you know, trying to beg to get your products in those shops. Um, and the same thing happened in the States. Then we, we sort of launched with Barney's. Um, and Barney's got us Bergdorf. And Bergdorf got us Nordstrom. Nordstrom got us, you know, Neiman's and everything else and then Saks and all of a sudden like they're sort of you know buyers see it in other stores and like hey what's this brand and then they call you as opposed to you know you begging to get it in there and you know I'm sort of glossing over that that was like a six-year stretch um yeah, which, like, how long it, did it take from um you know in in kind of production to I guess it was production yeah. you were then testing it in your salon and then yeah, so from initial concepts that. of like the initial concepts of the actual products, then the lab in Miami would make a sample. They'd send it to us, which would take like two weeks to get here. Um, and then we'd test it for, you know, you could usually tell in, a, in sort of five minutes if it was good or bad. And then we'd test it for a couple of weeks in the store on all the guys. And then we'd write feedback or jump on it. You know, there just wasn't video calls back then. Um, we'd write them an email. Um, and then... We'd send them feedback. They'd make a couple of tweaks to the formula. Then they'd send a new version. And, and man, that took three and a half years. Um, wow. Took a long time yeah. to, you know, the first ones, though, were like in, in their sort of defense, were better than anything else on the market. And then we just made it better and better and better and better and better from there. Um, and then the packaging is probably the thing that took the longest. Um, 
custom packaging is a great thing to have. You know, if someone's watching and they want to do something really different and have a product on the market that looks different to everything else, you kind of have to do custom packaging. But excuse my French here, it's fucking expensive and it takes fucking ages and it's a fucking ball ache. <laughs> it really is. It's so hard. Yeah. Um, but you do end up with something really cool, which can give you an instant point of difference. But that took four years. Then you've got compliance and everything else. You've got to, you know, you've got to make sure that you can, you're legally allowed to sell the products in all those different markets. And, um, yeah, there's way more to it than, than that. Um, but that was sort of, that's what got us the start, I guess. Mm. No, it's interesting. I mean, it also shows the, you know, the amount of self-belief that you had. Because, you know, what you were saying about uh, flying over to Miami and just turning yeah. up at someone's door and knowing that, you know, you wanted to be the best of the best. Um, yeah. That must take a lot of, you know, have you always had a lot of, did you, did you know from day one, okay, this is going to work or did you, did you have a lot of self-belief yeah. in what your, the idea that you were trying to build with Patrick's? Yeah, man, it, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't a full strategy or anything, you know, like I, I, I get that asked a lot, you know, and it's sort of like, I don't know, I, I didn't really think about it. It was just, you know, I, I had a goal and I wanted to do it and you just, I just got after it. <laughs> and, but I, I think it's, mainly because I try and look at it through the lens of someone else. And I think that's just, I think I'm a good salesman without knowing that I was a salesman. You know what I mean? So like okay. when I was doing the design and the sort of the brief to the, the chemists and the engineers at, in Miami, um, I sort of thought from their point of view, right? So from their point of view, it's like they probably get asked to make shit all the time. That's great, but everything's on a budget, right? So they're like, we need to make this shampoo cheaper. We need to make this conditioner cheaper or you know, blah, blah, blah. And everything's like fucking trying to get sort of champagne on a beer budget. You know what I mean? Um, and to get the, to get the guys excited, I would just say, guys, there's no budget, right? Like you guys are supposedly the best of the best. Um, show me, like get the best ingredients in the world. Like I want you to make me the best shampoo and conditioner or whatever they were making, like on the planet. Like, and it was sort of, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, whenever it was, um, and it was sort of like, show me the, like, what is the best product that you can make in 2015? Like the, the technology allows us. And then every year we obviously improve it and everything. Um, but all of a sudden the chemists and the engineers are like excited about a project, you know, they're like, fuck yeah. Like, awesome. I've heard about this ingredient. There's this, we could use this, we could use that, you know, and they're throwing ideas at you and saying, yeah, the, you're getting the chemists like, and the engineers excited, right? Where they're, they want to like they've sort of basically the handcuffs are off. It's like saying to an architect, like, you know, I need you to design me like a, a dog kennel. And they're just going to be like, nah, man. Um, or if you say to them, hey, I need you to change the, um, the skyline of New York. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, fuck yeah. Yeah, I'll, like I want to do that. And they'll put a lot of effort into it and probably create something phenomenal. Um, and I feel like that's what we did with, with every bit of it, right? It was like, okay, let me at the chemists and the engineers. Let me sort of explain the idea to them. So they can get excited about it. Um, and then the packaging was exactly the same. It's sort of like, let me out the packaging designers and stuff, like sort of bypassing the salespeople who just want to get your money and get another sale through the door. It's like, all right, where's the guys that actually designed this shit? Like, let me sit with you at your computer and I'll show you exactly what I want and the functionality and everything else. And then, you know, and I annoy them a lot and I'm aware of that. But I think the result sort of speaks for itself where 
you know, I, I feel like, and it's not just me saying or being arrogant, but we're kind of by far the best, the, you know, the best men's brand there is. The, the, no one can sort of comes close to us with with formulas or I think design and everything else. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, the, the, again, like I say, I really, I'm conscious of not sounding like a wanker when I say that, but they just, they just don't, um, I, I, they don't go near us. Um, you know, and all the collaborations we're kind of doing at the moment that we've got in the works sort of are a testament to that, like, you know, I don't know any other hair care or skincare brands that Lamborghini want to work with or, you know, Alpine Formula One or, you know, like there's a bunch of different stuff that I can't really sort of talk about it too much yet because it's not, you know, done. But it's cool, right? And I think like if you if you go after that approach where you're looking through that lens of like what's what's the other person thinking and how do I get them, how do I get the best result out of them for me? You know what I mean? And it's a bit of a chess game but it kind of works like that. And then the business side of it is exactly the same, man. Like it's it's really expensive to to do a brand like this. Um, so I had to raise money, um, and I actually went sort of like back to school and did an advanced diploma of corporate finance, um, just so I could raise the money myself. And I think it cost me like twenty five or twenty eight thousand bucks at the time, which was a lot. Um, but it meant that I could raise, I could legally raise money for the business rather than using a corporate advisor for something. Um, and we did three capital raises to sort of get it up to a certain point. Um, and again, that was all with the lens of like, all right, if I take people's money, um, I've got to know like my sort of golden rule for all that and what I sort of teach people or tell people that we help out is that like start with the end, you know what I mean, and then work your way back. So it's like who's going to buy me, who have they bought before, what multiples do they pay, what's the gap in their products that they're offering, What's our sort of, you know, USP, um, blah, blah, blah. And you start with all that and then everything else is easy from once you know what's at the end, right? Like, and I would sort of think like, okay, if I was a venture capital fund or a private equity fund or, you know, a L'Oreal or an Estee or a Shiseido or whoever it might be, it's like, okay, what, what do I want? I want something that's like luxury because the margins are great. I want something in men's because it's niche and not that many people have done it. Um, I want something that's high performance that, you know, guys buy over and over and over again. I want something that's good in design, you know. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm thinking of like what they want, right? And then I just tick all those boxes. And then when you have a meeting with them, they're like, oh, fuck, yeah, tick, 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 tick. And all of a sudden that's mapped out the path of your business. So you kind of know where to go because you've got the end figured out. And it's possible for like, no, you know, sense. investors get comfort around that because they know – you know, roughly when and how they're going to get their money back. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's an interesting, interesting story and journey that you've been on with. Yeah. Uh, with the brain. Well, there's an even better story about a sauna and a yeah. brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, well, you got to tell us now. You gotta, yeah. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> was like, tell, so that, that whole the story about the sauna. Yeah. That whole bit was like just hair care. Right. Um, and we, we, want, we, okay. want, we always had an idea to do skincare, um, but we just, again, we were just so busy with the hair care and it was, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there was only my wife and I in the business for, you know, years. Um, and then we got our first employee and then we had, you know, there was three of us for so long. Um, and then remember I was saying that the, lab, the packaging company that we work with in Chicago, um, they give you a corporate rate at the Four Seasons if you work with them. Um, and it, it means that you're getting basically a $2,000 a night suite for 200 bucks. Um, so we would have one meeting there. So Amy and I, this is before we had kids, we would fly over, stay for a whole week, 
just because it was 200 bucks a night and you stayed at the Four Seasons in Chicago. It was like epic. Um, <laughs> and then we'd have the meeting yeah. and then fly back to Sydney or whatever. Um, and on one of the, one of the trips, um, I said to Amy, I'm just going to go for a sauna before we jump on the plane because it's like a long way back to Sydney. Um, and, you can, and you can imagine what the sauna is like in the Four Seasons. It's massive, right? Like it's as big as my apartment. And I went in there and there was no one in there. Um, and I sort of sat in the corner and I was having a bottle of water and I reckon I'd been in there for like maybe 20 minutes and I wasn't far off getting out because like it was pretty hot. Um, and anyway, this guy, like the door swings open and this dude walks in like completely naked with like a towel over his shoulder and in a massive room man, and sits right next to me, like legs touching, shoulders touching. And I'm like, Hey man. <laughs> and he's like, Hey bud, how are you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, good. And I was like, fucking move over. <laughs> so we instantly started like laughing and talking and stuff. And he's like, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and then we were kind of joking and, and, and I, I said to him, um, I was like, mate, how good is the Four Seasons? And he goes, yeah, I know, beautiful hotel, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And I'm a real car guy, right? I've got like cars tattooed on me, if you can see, and I, I love them. And this will sort of tell you how long ago yeah. it was. Um, I said to the guy, did you see the, the, the new Ferrari 599 downstairs? And he goes, yeah, the black one. And I was like, yeah, did you see it? And he goes, yeah, that's mine. And I was like, no way. I was like, man, you must have been one of the first guys in the country to get one. Like, how the fuck did you get that? And he goes, oh, I was actually one of the first 10. Um, and I was like, whoa, seriously? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then we were talking about the car. And I was sort of like, man, what, like, what do you do? How do you get a Ferrari? <laughs> and he said, um, he's like, oh, look, I'm a, a neurosurgeon by trade um, and I've sort of researched and made a whole bunch of drugs that, you know, they've sort of subsequently sold to Pfizer and everything else. And then he said, I've been working for Bridgewater with Ray Dielio and their team, you know, doing due diligence on all their sort of biotech and cosmeceutical and sort of all the deals that they work on. Um, and I was like, fuck, yeah, cool. Um, and he was like, what about you? And I said, oh, man, I've just, I've just launched this, like, men's sort of luxury hair care brand. Um, and he was a man and had hair, so he was, like, into it. And <laughs> I was telling him about the design and everything. And, and then he said, um, he goes, oh, you know what? Like, I've always sort of had this idea of doing like a, a, a women's like skincare line, right? Because he said a lot of the stuff that I work on um, is, is essentially anti-aging. Um, what they were working on at the time was like, say I get hit by a bus, um, someone would cut my organs out and they'd put it on ice and try and get it to someone else in a certain amount of time so they could save that other person's life. Um, they were working on like basically a, a solution where you could put the organ in a like a serum almost and it would stop the organ from degrading too fast and it would just buy them more time to get that organ to a patient wherever they needed it to. Um, but he was like, essentially, it's just anti-aging. And he said, so I've got all this technology around slowing the aging of the cell. Um, and I was like, fuck, cool, man. Um, and I said, but, you know, like women's skincare, man, it's a... It's a tough game, you know. I was like, that's where the big girls and the big boys play and you need a lot of money and a lot of time and all that. And, you know, and I'm never like a naysayer. I was like, yeah, fuck, do it. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, I might. And I said, why don't you do like a really high-end men's one? Um, you know, is there any difference between our skin? Like would it work better on ours compared to a woman or whatever? And he was like, mate, no. And he goes, fucking good idea. He goes, do you want to go halves in it? He's like, we can use your brand and I'll do all the back-end stuff. And then from there you know, we can launch it. And I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. So we like high-fived and sucked each other off and that was it. Um, 
I'm joking. We didn't high five. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, man, that was the start. Of it. And then it's okay. this is where it got wild, right? Yeah. Was that if you know that wasn't wild enough? But um, I I was I'd been in there for probably twenty minutes before he got in, and then I was in there. I reckon for a half an hour with him talking about all this shit. And by the end, man, I was so hot. I thought I was going to die. And I said to him, like, at the end, I was like, are you sure you're a doctor? <laughs> and he's like, why? And I was like, man, I'm, I'm fucking, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> and I, like, basically, like, crawled to the door um, and just, I got out of there. And then I was, like, yelling back out to him, going, man, I'll, I'll leave you my business card at the concierge. <laughs> like, uh, like, skull and water. <laughs> and um, anyway, I went back to the room and got changed. And then I went downstairs to leave my business card with the concierge like I told him I would. Um, and I was so hot, like I couldn't remember his name or anything. And at the Four Seasons event, there's like four different front desks. So I was thinking, fuck, now I've got to like explain to four different people that, that like it's essential that this guy gets my business card. Um, but I can't remember his name or anything. Like I said, oh, listen, I met this guy in the sauna. He's a neurosurgeon or whatever. Um, but it's, I have no idea what his name is, but he'll probably ask for this. Can you just make sure that he gets it? I should have said the guy with the black Ferrari, but I didn't even think about it. Um, man, I was still hot for like a week later. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was like being in a microwave, I reckon. Like, it fucked me up. Um, <laughs> but anyway, long and again, like, I got back to Sydney half expecting this guy to like email me, right? And nothing, like crickets. And then a week yeah. later, nothing. Like a month later, nothing. Um, and I was going through all the lab, all the sorry universities trying to figure out who he was and um, using Google. Like we were trying to get into Bridgewater and they don't even have a phone number. Um, you know, you just, I couldn't find this guy. Anyway, about six or eight months later, I'd sort of given up on it. I was like, you know what, fuck it. It was, you know, maybe he just didn't like the idea or whatever. Um, and I get a random email from Professor Matthew During saying, hey, man, I'm going to be in Sydney doing a TED talk. Um, can you, do you want to meet up for dinner? And um, he's like, I've been tracking the brand and he's like, I'd love to invest in the brand um, and I've got some news for you and stuff. And anyway, we're like, yeah. So we met him for dinner. And then he, at the dinner, he was like, look, I've, I've actually, there's three drugs that we were working on um, that the, they'd actually sold to Pfizer. Um, and they sold, I didn't, it was an undisclosed amount of money, but it was, it was, you know, it was billions. It was a lot of money. Um, so he was like, look, I don't really need to sort of, do that much work anymore. Um, I'd still really want to do this skincare thing with you guys, but I, I want to invest in the brand. And he's like, I don't want to go 50-50. You guys just have it um, and I'll help you out as and when you need it and, and all that kind of stuff. So again, like high-fived over dinner and, you know, bought a very expensive bottle of red wine and celebrated. And then um, he gave us a big check. And then, then the race was on again to find the next lab, which is, man, it's just so hard. And through the industry, I'd heard that there was this, lab in New Jersey um, called Bentley Labs and I like the name because I'm a car guy and I thought if they're called Bentley they must be good um, <laughs> and again I rang and, and emailed and rang and emailed and rang and emailed and I was doing this on a Tuesday and a Thursday every week just relentlessly um, and no one would answer, no one would put me through, no emails were getting through and then I found out that the lady who owned the place um, or the wife, the, there was a husband and wife duo, it was Kathy and Brian Fitzpatrick um, and I didn't have her email, but I knew her name. Um, so I was like, I was typing like Kathy dot Fitzpatrick, Kathy Fitzpatrick, K Fitzpatrick, you know, Kathy F, every kind of underscores, 
every kind of fucking email you could think of trying to get one through. Because I knew that their email was like, they had like info at bentleylabs.com. Um, so I knew the last bit. I just had to guess the first bit. Um, and no one would give it to me, right? They're like a vault. So, and eventually, um, one, I got an out of office. And, and I was like, yes, fuck yes. I was like, I got her email. So then once a week, I would just, you know, I was always really nice. It wasn't like super annoying. Um, but I'd be just like, hey, Kathy, look, I know you, you know, probably slammed with work and blah, blah, blah. But I've got something really cool here. And if you did have five minutes, I'd love to jump on a call or I can be on a plane like the next day. You say it and I'll be there. And then like she must have got some of those emails and I just didn't know. She never replied. But when I was calling, um, I got to know the receptionist because I was calling like twice a week. <laughs> and then she was telling me that she was going on vacation, right? And so I was like, all right, I knew she was going the next week. So I didn't call the rest of that week. And I was like, oh, I have a great time in fucking Barbados or wherever you were going. Um, you know? And then they got this temp in for the week. And like nine o'clock Monday morning, the temp started, the temporary, you know, whatever you call it, the receptionist. Um, she answered the phone and goes, hello, Bentley Labs. And I was like, oh, hey, how you doing? I'm, uh, my name's Patrick. I'm good friends with Kathy. Is she in the office by any chance? And she's like, yeah, honey, I'll put you through. I was like, yes. And then <laughs> <laughs> snuck through. Kathy answers the phone. She's like, hello, Kathy speaking. And I was like, Kathy, it's Patrick Kidd. How are you? And she's like, oh, my God. She's like, and her words, she was like, you're a persistent little fucker. I'll give you that. <laughs> And then she said, look, I've read all your emails so you can stop sending them, you can stop calling. Um, she's like, we've just been super busy building a whole new section of the lab and they'd just done a, a deal with a private equity company and sold some of the business and, you know, they were really busy on a much bigger scale than my little brand. Um, and she was like, look, if you can be here next Wednesday, um, I'd love to talk to you about it. So then I was like, done, see you there. And it was like Monday, so I did quickly book a flight, jumped on a plane from Sydney to New York and then rang professor, the professor, Matt, um, and just said, bro, you've got to be in New Jersey with me on Wednesday. Um, and sure enough, I rocked up to the, to the lab um, in a shitty yellow New York cab that cost me about 200 bucks to get from the city to New Jersey. And then this like orange McLaren comes flying into the car park and just goes like, Wah! and the doors go up sideways and out comes Matt. And I'm like, you fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> But everyone in the lab was like looking at like who was driving this car, right? And him and I like sort of high fives and gave each other a hug and I was like, right, let's go crush this. Um, and we went in and, and pitched the idea to them and, and then they loved it, right? And the sort of, I guess the good timing of that and the lucky part of it was that Bentley Labs had, um, they just received an investment and they built a whole new section of their lab where rather than kind of reverse engineering a product, you know, to make a similar one, they were like, they, it was like a research and development division. So they were sort of researching and development, like developing new ingredients and better ingredients and better actives and better everything. But generally, that would be a lot more expensive than the traditional ingredients on the market. Um, and they had no brands that were sort of willing to use that sort of more futuristic, more expensive sort of high performance stuff because it would blow their costs out of the water. Whereas because we were sort of doing what we do, we were like, Let, give us the best stuff. Like, so they were like, look, this is the perfect brand to put all this new technology that we've developed into which was sort of the lucky part for us um and obviously we had matt the professor you know who kind of knew what he was talking about in terms of formulas and all that kind of thing and and obviously they did too um and then i was doing all the sort of design and branding and everything else and um yeah and then at the end of that meeting they loved it we had like six products sort of ready to go 
or concepts anyway. Um, and then Matt had to go. And then Brian and Kathy, who owned the lab, were like, Patrick, can we talk to you after the meeting you know, in our office? And I was sort of like, oh, shit. Like, here we go. They're going to, like, you know, yell at me for calling them for every day and emailing, you know, for six months straight. Um, and they were like, look, we, we absolutely love what you and Amy are doing um, and we want to invest in the business. Um, and I was like, sweet. So they gave us a huge check um, as well as agreed to work with us. Um, and we've been sort of they're part of the family even now. Um, the last capital raise we just did, they, they invested again. Um, I actually sold their lab for them, um, not directly, but um, a guy I know in the UK who basically runs the Hup Group, they were looking for labs and he rang me and just was like, man, do you know any labs in the US that are like really fucking good? We're, we're sort of on the hunt to acquire a lab. And I was like, yeah, man, Bentley Labs, like let me introduce you to Brian and Kathy um, and introduce those guys. And then within a month they'd done a deal um, and they, I think they bought the lab for 285 million US um, and I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, yeah, fuck all. Commission check yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, that, that, that sort of stuff. Good relationship building. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they were thankful for that. Yeah, they were. And, yeah. and and again, they've just invested in the business again. And yeah, Amy and I love them both because they're, they're a husband and wife duo. And it is difficult working with your partner. Um, okay. you know, it's hard yeah. to be husband and wife at home and then CEO and director at work. And, you know, Amy and I are wildly different. Like I sort of start a million things and don't finish anything whereas she has to you know she's the opposite of that um and i love i have a big appetite for risk and she doesn't um but again it sort of complements each other and brian and kathy were like that as well um yeah. so it was a really good sort of balance um yeah and they, they're, they're kind of part of the family now man we i'm really good friends with their kids and you know they've got a beautiful new house and sort of enjoying their retirement and yeah and we're still making cool products so Kind of all worked out, but all because of the sauna. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all from that sauna story. Mm. <laughs> that yeah. Fascinating. Good stuff. And that kind of thing um, sort of, it like, oh, you go. No, no, no. I was just going to. Oh, I was just going to say, like. Yeah, I could, I could see that you were. Yeah, like for, for anyone sort of starting out, like all of the sort of, I guess, lucky shit that's happened to me to get to this point, you know, where the brand's worth, you know, sort of well over $50 million, um, has all been from talking to people in cool locations and putting yourself in the right places at the right time and just being open to having a chat to people and not being a dick or a douche. Um, and just being cool, you know what I mean? Like I met one of my biggest investors um, in, the, in the gym at the NED in London. Um, and the NED in London, when they first opened, they, they had, you could you rent a room for like, um, I think it was 30 pounds a night. Like they were doing a trial run of the hotel. Um, so it was super cheap. And so I stayed there for like a month um, <laughs> because it was so cheap. And it's the NED, I don't know if you've been to the NED, but it's fucking cool. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Is a, it's a very, I've been I was, before. Yeah, very nice, very nice spot for anyone. Yeah, it is. Know. And and I was because um, I was staying there, right? Like I was I was doing a boxing workout down in the. They got a really epic gym downstairs, and I was just boxing away. And pardon me, there was a guy next to me who was just like I was pretty hungover, and I could tell he was as well. And but I saw that he was wearing like a um, like a gold Patek Philippe, you know, like a really I think it was a fifty-seven eleven or something. It was fucking cool. Anyway, so and. I just said to him, man, you look as hungover as me. And the first words that he ever spoke to me, this guy was like, told me to fuck off. <laughs> he goes, fuck off. 
He goes, you look way worse than I do. And I'm like, oh, mate, I'm sweating bullets. And then I ended up getting some pads and I was like, come on, let's do a workout. So we started, you know, having a boxing session together and we were laughing and talking and joking and stuff like that. And then um, did a bit of a stretch and then um, I just said to him, man, I've I've, got this like hair care, skincare thing. I'll leave you some products upstairs, get you sorted out because we're having a good time. And he goes, yeah, cool. And then I left my business card with the products. And then that night he emailed me and said, um, you know, he's like, man, you're not like raising capital by any chance, are you? Because I'm in the investment game, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I fucking love your products. They're unreal. And I said, yeah, man, well, let's, we actually are. Like, I'll meet you downstairs and we'll have a beer or a coffee or whatever and, and talk about it. And then he was like the sort of cornerstone investor for us. Um, he didn't even read the IM. He didn't like do any financials or anything. He was just like, He's like, man, I, I kind of invest in people and this is a really good idea and the product was already sort of at a point by then. Um, so he invested and then he was like, look, go talk to these guys in New York. They'll probably all invest as well. So I jumped on a plane. He introduced me to them. They all invested and all this other kind of stuff. And then on the way back, I had to go back to London and then back to Sydney. And then I got an upgrade for the first time ever um, from economy to business. And I sat next to this guy called Adrian McKenzie who um, you know, is hugely famous in the venture capital world, especially in Australia. Um, or globally, he's like, you know, he's the the guy. Um, and I had no clue. I didn't know who he was, but I just sat next to him on this plane and we laughed and joked for, you know, 28 hours. And then I told him we were raising money or whatever and he, and he didn't give anything away. He was kind of like, oh, man, I do a bit of that stuff. Like, he's like, shoot me the IM and I'll have a read of it for you and I'll sort of pressure test it and tell you what you can improve on and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I sent it to him when I was back in Sydney and then I messaged him just saying, hey, man, want to get a coffee and just tell me what you think of the IM. And then I went and got a coffee with him and, um, again, gave us a whopping check and then I found out all about him and who he was and was just like, holy fuck, this guy's like the guy. (laughs) But I think he liked it because I didn't know who he was, you know what I mean? I was just being a mate rather than, you know, trying to use him for money or anything. But now he's made a really good return on the the capital that he's put into the business. Um, But, again, it's like gyms, saunas, airports, airport bars, you're sitting on a plane. Like you just, you just never know who you're sitting next to. You know what I mean? Mm. It sounds like to me, you know, kind of it's about putting yourself in the right, you know, rooms, whatever that be, whether it's, um, you know, a nice hotel, a business class flight, but also having the people skills. Because I think that's something that's kind of lacking with some of the younger generations, you know, in particular, um, is that... They're, they're not they're everyone's glued to their phones and there's they're not, they're not getting out there yeah. and interacting and it sounds probably like your your superpower is is is, is good social yeah. skills it comes there and that's that's led to significant opportunities within your business investment yeah etc yeah man i think it is it, I, you know and just i think like learning sales you know what i mean like when i was in school and you know being an electrician and all that shit like I, I just had no idea that like sales was a job um, and I didn't realise that I was like okay at it. Um, and, and design I always like, you know, I love good design and I've always sort of drawn things and had ideas about stuff but never had any sort of way to, you know, bring it to life kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think like for anyone young coming through, like just learn a little bit of sales, you know. And it could be easy as like showing someone saying, you know, hey, Charles, check out this lid, man. This is the best bottle top in the world. Um, it's got blah, 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 but sorry, dude, you can't have it. You know what I mean? And then you're like, fuck you, I want that lid. (laughs) Like it's that easy. 
yeah, 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 yeah. And you can do that with anyone, right? Yeah. Um, and it's sales come naturally to you. Is 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 it something that you feel has come naturally? Like you you weren't, it wasn't, uh, you didn't have a say, you know, a mentor, no. or did you? Yeah, and I, I didn't even know that it was a thing, to be honest. Um, like, I've never read any business books. Um, I've, I've only ever read one book. Um, actually, two. I tell a lie. I read Shoe Dog when I was in Fiji not so long ago. It's the second book that I've ever read. <laughs> the first one was Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Um, and that sort of works on and off. But, yeah, man, there was no, like, I didn't learn sales or anything. I think, like, I don't know. It's, it's just like, I think if you're just friendly and cool, people like are sort of warm to you and then you can tell your story, right? Like, like when I got Barney's, that was sort of a good example of yeah. like being cool with people, but with a sort of like knowing exactly what I wanted to achieve out of it. So like I would, I'd go into Barney's buy like a fairly expensive t-shirt, get talking to the kid who was selling it to me. And eventually, cause I had an Australian accent or whatever, they'd be like, Oh man, what, like, what are you doing in New York? And I'd be like, oh, I'm here to um, see Mr. Porter. I've just launched my brand on Mr. Porter. And because they're working at Barney's, they'll know exactly who Mr. Porter is. And they're like, oh, fuck, cool, man. Like, what's your brand? And I'd be like, oh, it's this, like, hair care brand, blah, blah, blah. And, and, of course, I had one in my pocket. I'd be like, yeah, check it out. And he'd be like, sick, man, that's fucking cool. Like, you should get that in here in Barney's. And I'd be like, yeah, that's, like, that'd be amazing. And he's like, let me introduce you to the buyer. Um, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, you're standing there with the buyer. And the buyer's like, hey, like, who's this guy? And he's like, check out his product. And then I'd show him. And then, you know, you organize a meeting and two hours later, you're sitting there signing a deal with Barney's because you had it in your pocket. Um, but now those two people are still mm. very good friends of mine to this day. And that was probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Yeah. No, it's um, like I said, I think um, people skills is, are uh, severely underrated, uh, especially. And I think... You know, when we look at things like AI coming in and all these type of things where people are trying to kind of shortcut the process, I think human interaction and actually building genuine connections with people is is, is that uh, differentiator um, and it will still be, as you know, for many years. Yeah, man, and I think that's even true in the, like the dating game. And, you know, not, I haven't been in that for 23 years, but my kids will probably soon be doing that. And... It's like Tinder or Grinder or whatever you you know whatever floats your boat whatever you're into, um, you know it's all online and I'm sort of telling my kids like don't forget to fucking learn how to dance or talk to a girl at a bar or like have a good bit of banter or you know just be entertaining and friendly and nice and I don't think you need any of that other shit you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that's that's uh, you're right. I mean, yeah. Dating and sales are are very yeah. very similar. Sometimes it's yeah 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 yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, so, you know, so there's definitely similarities yeah. there. I think I'm at the kind of generation where it's like I remember having to go up to a girl yeah. at the bar, and now we've got dating apps and everything, and everything seems easier, but um, doesn't really build that kind of resilience. Yeah. Um, and character. Yeah, and man, it's terrifying going up to a girl at a bar and saying hello. <laughs> it was yeah. for me, anyway. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, oh yeah, Ooh. same with me. Takes a, a used to take a, yeah a bit of liquid. Yeah, colour. I used to just take my really good looking mates and get them to do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's always yeah. a good strategy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Patrick, I wanted to kind of, I know we, we you, we've we've gone through that whole journey, and this, you know, I'm sure my audience is picking up on kind of the the scale of where you're at with the business. But I'd love to kind of delve into, if I could, like where you're at currently with, um, you know, revenue numbers and like operations, like how many people have you are working within the business? Just if you could just give us a like a, a, an overview of kind of maybe where you. Yeah, where where you're at at the moment, and and kind of how long it took you to get to yeah to where yeah you are yeah now. for sure. So like, man, we like weirdly Shopify when we first launched the brand, we did it on a Shopify site, and whenever you get a sale on Shopify, it goes ching, and it has this like awesome sound, like a cash register kind of thing, um, and we'd maybe get one or two a day, you know, and you're like ching, you're like yes. And then we'd check our emails and be like, who ordered it? <laughs> you know, and half the time it was a friend or something. Um, <laughs> and you're like, fuck yeah. yeah. Um, and then we'd pack it up in the office and take it to the post office. And, you know, it was a big deal. Um, whereas now you can't, you can't have that on because it's just selling so much. And, you know, it's like, I pinch myself. It's like amazing. Um, but, yeah, like the first yeah. year I think we did like 50 grand or something in sales or whatever. Like, But I had capital. So I had like I'd raised money and I'd you know, told everyone that we needed some working capital to get to a point where it would be profitable and all that sort of thing. And, and we sort of projected out like five years to sort of profitability and, and we've pretty much hit all of our targets. Um, the business has sort of doubled every year, if, if not tripled, um, in the growth, like the sort of growth. So this year, this calendar year, hope, like the target is to do sort of a bit over 15 million US and I think, you know, I'm the optimist, so I reckon we'll do 20 and Amy reckons we'll do 13. Um, so then, and then you sort of, you know, we'll see how it goes. Because yeah, yeah. last year was a big year for That's us where we, we were basically raising money the whole year. Um, and I can tell you guys now because it's a done deal, but Shiseido invested in our brand, um, which uh, from, the, from the US and from Japan. And, and it's just like been the most phenomenal thing because now we've got a big strategic partner um, and we finally got some cash in the bank okay. to be able to do all the sort of cool shit that we wanted to do. Um, but yeah, so the target this year would be like 15 million. I think we did eight or nine million last year in revenue, and I think five the year before that, and and then was like one before that, and like you know a couple of hundred grand and 50 grand before that. It it sort of it's been quite a big um, growth, like sort of curve, I guess you'd call it, but. And we've gone from, obviously, with that amount of money too, you need loads more staff. So we've gone from just Amy and I to, um, I think we've got 16 staff now in the office. Um, so it's like, it's a big team now. Um, and you kind of have to have your team set before you do it. So they're, they're kind of an expensive part of the business because you, you, it's hard to like sort of grow and then hire. You need to hire to be able to handle the growth, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, each person's sort of, you know, 80 to 200 grand a year, you know, of cost to the business and when you've got 16 of them you know get you got a big wages bill every week um and then everything else that comes along with sort of running the business um the target yeah like the and then the value of the business generally in sort of cosmetics is uh three to ten times revenue um depending on who's buying it or who wants it or who's investing or whatever um so our latest valuation, well, the money we raised with Shiseido was at 35 million um, valuation. And 
they put in two and a half million. Um, and then some other VCs and stuff put in money as well. So sort of got us a bit over probably 40 million um, post money. And then now we've got a bunch of new stuff happening in collabs and everything else. And that would sort of easily push us over the 50 mark. But it doesn't really mean anything, right? Like it's, I don't have 50 million bucks in the bank. Um, it's just a, a pie in the sky number figure of what the business potentially could be worth right now. Um, and our goal is to get to sort of somewhere between 25 and 50 million the next year. And then you're in a position where you could maybe sell some of the business or sell the whole thing or, um, you know, and, and I'm always cautious about telling people that because I don't want them to think that I've just built this thing to sell it. Um, it's really not the case. Um, but, you know, if someone offered me 100 million bucks or 200 million bucks for the business, I'd, you'd have to think about it, right? Like it's, it's a load of money. Um, and I don't come from any money and neither does my wife. Um, and I'd love to buy a house and a car and a cool watch and, you know, and then try and make a difference to some other people's businesses. And I don't know, maybe we could cure kids cancer or some shit like that. Um, that'd be cool. <laughs> but yeah. Um, is there anything more specifically about the, like the numbers of the business that you want to know? Like, yeah, no, I think that, yeah, I think it's really just give my audience kind of a scale of where you're at, you know, it's, it's been a, and also I think it's shown that, you know, when you were mentioning about this is not a short term no. process, you know, this uh, building a, a company of this scale, a uh, product business takes time. You know, you were saying that, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, you know, it, it took five years for it to be profitable. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you you start to, to scale up. So it's, it, I think it's having that you you had to have that clear vision in your head of where it's going um and um yeah making sure that it's 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 gonna take you to where you want to go so yeah and that's I, what i was saying before if you know what the like start a, a product yeah that's what i was saying before like if you know what the exit yeah. is um it just makes life so much easier man because you know where you're going right so it's, it's sort of it's easy money <laughs> but yeah yeah so what's been the what's been the What's been the main majors kind of, what would you say has been some obstacles or major challenges getting to where you at, are at now? Oh. Has there been any, any kind of things that you think, oh, that, that, was, that was challenging? Mate, so much, um, honestly. It's like, I feel like I could bring the whole podcast down. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, and I don't know how your viewers. It's a top, top one to three kind yeah, of Yeah, I don't, I don't know how your viewers view that swearing or the truth but like it, it's a cunt you know business is a Bring cunt it. um yeah, 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 yeah. people are cunts um and, and there's no other way of saying it like there's a lot of people out there that are out to like rip you off and and just bad humans man and i pray that i'm never that dude you know and we just don't operate like that and that's happened to us a bunch of times um you know and i won't go into specifics because mm. you know water under the bridge and all that and i try not to focus on the negative it's sort of like you know, if that's how you want to live your life, you do it, but you're going to end up lonely or dead. <laughs> it's like, it's not a good way to operate. Yeah. Um, Calm is a real thing. Yeah, things like, um, you know, one big one was with like Berlin Packaging, who I still work with today and have a great relationship with. But they, we had, I designed this shampoo bottle that you basically picked up, you turned the bottom of it and it had a, a, like a lidless silicon valve on the bottom. So it meant that you could like, if I use this bottle for an example, um, let's put the lid on so I don't get it everywhere. But it, it meant that like, say that was a shampoo bottle, 
it meant you could pick it up. There was a valve in the bottom. So you could just pick it up, squirt it, put it down, pick it up, squirt it, put it down. So you never had to like flip lids or pump things or, you know, it was just really functional and easy to use. Um, but to get the, there was, it had to be a lock on the bottom of the, the silicon valve. So if you spun this big piece on the bottom, it would lock off that valve so you could transport it or have it in warehouses so it wouldn't leak and um, it would stop the silicon like sticking together as well. Anyway, I designed all this with Berlin Packaging, who are like the biggest packaging company in North America and signed like NDAs and everything else. And, um, you know, it was like my idea. I spun it out to their designers and then they designed it. Anyway, they, they designed this thing for probably three years and just couldn't get it to work. And eventually they did, right? And then they turned around to after three years where Ladove, who were making the products, were like, come on, guys, we've finished the formulas. Like, the fuck is taking so long? Like, let's get this thing to market. And they were getting really frustrated because they'd made all this product, but I hadn't sort of they, – they thought that I was being too anal about the packaging. And I was like, it's not me. These guys just haven't executed the design. And then when they finally got it working and into sort of a, you know, a, product, a mass production run, they said um, – we Berlin said, we want the IP to that bottle – or we're not going to manufacture it. And I was like, what? And I was like, you guys signed an IP contract. Like, I designed that. You can't, like, have it. And they were like, we'll go manufacture with someone else then. And we are like, fuck, well, that would take another year or two. And then Ladove would just freak out that it's going to be another few years that we couldn't, you know, launch the, the products at that point. Um, and then it was like Amy and I, luckily Amy's a lawyer, um, versus a 16-man legal counsel from Berlin Packaging to try and negotiate this thing. Um, and in the end, I was like, do you know what? Fuck it. Have it. Have it. And they've, they have had it. They have it to this day. Um, and they've never used it. Um, and it was just crazy, man. And what I've sort of found out in hindsight that the guy who was sort of doing it all, his name is Scott Jost, um, he basically just wanted a promotion, you know, and I get that now. He wanted to take something cool to his boss and say, look, I, you know, we've spent a long time developing this. And, and their argument was that they'd spent so long developing the actual mechanics of it that they felt like they should own the IP, which I understand. Um, but I was like, man, you can't take credit for something that you didn't design. Like, I designed it. Um, and we're a tiny little startup, and, you know, and that's why they got it, because they sort of just bullied us into, into getting it. Um, another th I got ripped off by a Japanese distributor for, like, 60 grand, um, where the guy got us into all these amazing stores and then it sold out super quick. Um, and then I was like, man, it's time to fix up the invoice now because he was like, I need more products, they're selling more. Um, and I was, I was going to send him another sort of $60,000 worth and um, he hadn't paid his invoice. And then it just disappeared. <laughs> the guy like completely disappeared. Um, so I got no money and, you know, but great sell-through in Japan, which is good. <laughs> so it's all how you look at it, right? Like everything's like, a lesson and the, yeah. the, the really expensive ones you don't forget. Um, I didn't read a contract with one of the capital raise things um, and there was an extra $850,000 fee that I just didn't know about because I can't read very well and I didn't read a contract. But again, every contract now, I get a fucking lawyer to go through it with a fine tooth comb because, you know, people change stuff at the last minute and it's hard to trust people's word, you know. like And... I've always wanted to trust people's, you know, in business and life and everything else, but you just can't. It's foolish to do, to think that you can. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a rough lesson to learn, man. Eight hundred and fifty grand is a lot of money. Um, it's when you don't expect it. Mm. Um, and but there's a million things, man. The main thing I think is like 
I always liken sort of being an entrepreneur to being like bipolar or something where, you know, and from this, the viewers can probably tell that <laughs> I'm maybe on the spectrum a little bit, but um, it's like one email, you're like, yes, fuck yeah, this is amazing. Like, you know, the Lamborghini thing, for instance, or the Alpine thing or the Voss and Wheels thing, whatever it is. Like we did a whole bunch of, we got a call from Warner Brothers in DC to make products for the new Batman film, which is just like, whoa, that's so crazy. Um, you know, and then two seconds later, you're fucking in court fighting over a shampoo bottle and you're like, ah, oh, how are we going to get out of this one? And then 10 minutes after that, you're like, someone else calls and you're like, yeah, sick, awesome. And it's just, it's like that, man, all the time. Like, yeah, and it's just relentless and, you know, and some people can handle it and some people can't. And, but I think if you, if you, you know, teach yourself the skills to be able to handle that sort of mentality and, you know, a lot of people ask me sort of for business advice or ask them to help them out with projects or, you know, getting products to market. And, and then sometimes, in, you know, I can just tell that the person's not going to be able to do it because they just don't have the resilience or they, I can tell that they're going to give up. Um, you know, you really need someone to, like, that really gets after it, you know. Like it's and, – and I guess that's, you know, it becomes clear when most of the investors that we had back in the day sort of invested in Amy and I more so than – the business almost, um, you know, where they were like, you need a founder or a founders that can like navigate the shit show that is becoming successful. Um, cause it's really hard and it's competitive and, you know, and I like to think that, you know, that I've done it in a way where I've got friends all over the world. I'm friends with all the buyers from all the stores that we know. And I've got an amazing network now. Like, you know, if someone had a hair care or a fashion brand or anything like that, and I can introduce them to like the coolest people on the planet that actually can blow their brand up because I've become friends with all these people and, you know, I've looked after them on things and helped them out and vice versa. And I think that's what it's all about. But it, yeah, but it is hard, man. It's, it's really hard. Like it's, you know, and especially with your wife, like that's a whole other thing. Like if you're doing your thing on your own and, you know, it's easy, right? You come home and sort of like, oh, how was your day? It's good. Amy and I could be arguing all day about something. Um, you know, it might be a design thing or a, compliance thing or a strategy for an email or whatever and we just completely disagree with each other and then we've got to go pick up the kids and come home and cook dinner and you know it's like it's a weird dynamic <laughs> yeah yeah no i thought i must admit i thought i i know uh, you know a couple of couples where it it, it seems to work very well like in terms of business and, and uh, i've i've always thought that must be yeah challenging at times but equally rewarding in in other times as well once you know when things are going right and it's i guess it's how you separate yeah, the two isn't mate, it sometimes totally like and kids man that's a whole other thing like if you know if anyone's listening and is yeah young and thinking about doing their own business like just do it because <laughs> when you have kids it becomes a lot harder it's just it's harder to travel it's harder to sort of drop everything and just be somewhere um whereas i could do that for a while when, when we first started out like you know Mr. Porter were like, oh, can you guys be here on Thursday? I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. I booked a ticket like the next day, jumped on a plane, got there, took the meeting, got him. Um, Selfridges, same thing. Warner Brothers, same thing. Like I was always like, now it's a little bit more, like it's getting easier now that my kids are getting a bit older. Um, but if you're younger, it's so much easier to do that. Um, and, you know, you get old and you get tired and you get, you know, I try and never get sick of traveling, but economy just, from Sydney to London just sucks, dude. And I've done it so many times. <laughs> and now I'm sort of try, trying yeah, to get no, to a I, point with like using my Amex for points and stuff. 
um, that I'm sort of starting to get upgrades and yep. I can travel in business yep. a bit better. And I mean, that makes like all the difference. And I know it sounds wanky. It sounds like I'm a prick, but it means I can go from Sydney to London. I can get off the plane, you know, 6am or whatever on a Monday morning in London and have meetings that day and just go bang, 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 stack them all up the next day, bang, bang, bang. And then I can fly out on Wednesday um, and feel great. Whereas if I fly an economy, it takes me like a day or two at least to sort of come good. And obviously accommodation is expensive in London. You might be paying 200 to 500 pounds a night, you know, to be where you need to be. Um, and if you've got two or three nights of that that you don't really need, it's sort of like, well, then the airfare doesn't seem quite so bad because you've been so much more efficient with your time. Um, so there's all those sort of like little hacks as well. That's Sydney to London. I, I must admit, I... Twin, I think 2020, I, 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 it was my first ever business class flight and I kind of regret it because once you, it ruins once you, you go business, it's like, it, absolutely, yeah, you're like, oh, I, I'm not sure I could go, yeah, any, any flight over five hours now, I'm like, oh, you know, if I have to go economy yeah. and, um, and I'm, you know, by no means it's, it's still a, it's still a significant expense for me. Hey, for everyone, I mean, in, I think if anyone's like, my, Telling your business class is affordable, they're tripping out. <laughs> no, no. It, it's definitely yeah. not. That's I sure. always justify it. Yeah, I try you, you and, you know, sometimes I'll like fly to LA because it's, it's, I think it's what, 15, 16 hours. And I'm like, yeah, do you know what? I'll pay a thousand bucks, I'll go in economy, and then I'll spend five grand on clothes. <laughs> and then I can't, you know, I just don't spend any money on clothes anyway. And then the second I get on the plane, I'm like, fuck it, I wish I had gone business. <laughs> Because yeah, it's like you don't have the money, yeah, but in your head you, you're sort of saying, well, if I save myself five grand, I might buy something cool. And but then you, you go to buy something, you're like, you know, I, A, I don't have the money. And how the fuck did I come to that, you know, realisation? Um, but the second I get on the plane and I'm in economy and I've got the pillow on and the thing and there's a screaming kid next to me, I'm just like, oh, fuck, kill me. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, man, no, first world problems, uh, right? You... Like whinging about flying all around the no, world yeah for sure for sure I, if you get the opportunity to do it then for sure it's it's uh in certain situations it's worth it's worth paying the yeah, extra definitely um um couple of kind of final questions i just want to kind of delve in a little bit into um like marketing marketing channels um i know you mentioned so you guys the website's on shopify yeah shopify right? plus now um and for yeah. if anyone goes to it like yeah. i How you hate our it? website um, we're actually right in the process now of just getting a bunch of quotes from a bunch of different companies to um, build a new one for us. Because I, I like our website, you know, sort of between us is just purely like a conversion machine. Um, it, that's what it's designed to do, you know. So like it's got our best sellers at the top, so people can just go on there, click it, quickly get out of there, and you know, save themselves some time. Um, but I feel like the brand's getting to a point now where we we really want to like showcase the products more where it's pardon me whether you've got like video or you know because we've got the sickest images and, and i've got a dropbox file i reckon we've got a million photos in there and they're sick you know every one of them is like really really cool um and i kind of want to show off the brand a little bit more um and then sort of still have the the convenience though of being able to get products quickly and easily as a as a user like because some guys might not know about the brand and they want to you know go to the site and check you out and see what you're all about other dudes just want to get on there, get their product and get out of there, you know, like they're busy, right? So they don't want the headache. So that's, Shopify is like, 
I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. Um, it integrates with all the apps and stuff that are like amazing. Um, it integrates with all of our um, like 3PLs, like our, all of our warehouses and stuff. And we just, it's so efficient and so good. And then the reporting's amazing. Shopify Plus is even better. Um, but you've got to be sort of doing some numbers, like some volume to make it worth it. Um, and again, like even when we do this new website, um, we're still going to use Shopify Plus as like the back end because it's really good. Um, and I'm no expert in it. Um, Clavio is really good too. And again, we're just sort of figuring out all this sort of stuff now. Um, well, we've had Clavio for years. Um, and like I put a product in my cart the other day and then left it there and then got an, uh, like a, what do you call it? Like an abandoned cart email from Patrick's. Um, and I was straight away into the office like, who the fuck sent this? This is like terrible. <laughs> and they were like, you, you idiot. You designed it like three years ago. <laughs> So, like, everything's, like, a work in progress, right? Like, the new website's going to be sick. When we get Clavio yeah. sort of going, that'll be sick. And that's better for the user, right? Because it's sort of like, you know, hey, Charles, this is the product that you just ordered. Here's what goes with it, blah, blah, blah. And I can really kind of make, make sure that you've got, like, sort of a concierge-level service when you buy something expensive or cool or, you know, that you, that you like. Um, what was the other? And the site's good, that is. It shows you're a perfectionist or you're always improving the design because if anyone looks at the site, I mean, I looked at it earlier and I was like, it looks oh, good to me. Dog shit. I hate it. No <laughs> means, uh, it's, we're always the worst critic. Aren't we? We're always the worst critic yeah. of our own stuff. Oh, just we? To me, it just doesn't feel like our brand. Like if, uh, if someone's interested in the brand, I always tell them to go to yeah. Instagram because that's like kind of our sort of brand book, I guess. Um, and there's so many, you know, I just prefer images than text and, you know, you don't have to have buttons and things all over it and menus. It's just nice and clean and, you know, cool. Um, the, the other thing, like the marketing thing, yeah. and this might be this might be terrible advice for most of your audience, but it might be, it would seem to work for us, right? Like one thing I think we've done really differently and Hypebeast and Heisnerbody have both done sort of articles on this saying that, you know, basically saying Australian luxury men's brand, um, refuses to use influencers or never uses influencers or doesn't have men in their pictures and doesn't do how-to tutorials about hair and skin and all that kind of stuff. And we've just never done that, right? Like I, I never wanted to use an influencer for anything and, you know, nothing against influencers. It's just sort of, I don't know, might, and this might get me in trouble, but I don't think any influencers that I know are influential at all. Um, you know, they don't influence me and my buying power or my mates or whatever. Um, you know, I know a lot of my mates like the hot girl ones that, you know, advertise teeth whitening and all that shit, but it's not because of the teeth whitening. Um, but we've just never done that, right? But I've got a bunch of mates that are very influential guys and they're not influencers. You know, they're like architects, musicians, artists, pro athletes, um, designers, you know, VC guys, PE guys, finance guys, you name it. Like, and man, they, some of them have like, 2,000 followers and some of them have 2 million followers um, and they sell shit for me because they are influential and the people that sort of follow them aspire to be like them or think they're cool and want to do what they want to do. So that's one thing we've never done. Like, you know, I don't think we have a picture of a guy on our Instagram ever. Um, we've never done a how to do your hair video. We've never done like um, how to do skincare or a three-step routine or any of that shit. 
it's sort of like if someone needs to figure that out, um, I haven't done a very good job on the design. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it needs – then I know that I've got to improve like – because surely people know how to use a shampoo or a conditioner, right? And if you type that into YouTube anyway, there's probably literally a million videos. Um, and just I'll leave that to someone else. I just want to focus on doing good stuff. So it's kind of like we've become like the anti-marketing brand. Um, and, it's, and it's not to be anti-marketing. It's just, A, we couldn't afford it back in the day. So I spent all of our, you know, the money that we had, the capital, on building relationships with all the stores and the buyers um, so I could get my products into those stores to then get credibility in the store. So then when someone went to my website, they were like, oh, fuck, this guy's got this brand in Harrods and Selfridges and Barney's and everything else. Like, it must be good because it's really fucking hard to get a product into those stores, right? It's got to be good. Um, so then, and then obviously... You have the GQs and the Esquires and everything else, Rob Report and blah, 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 you know, where they give you – and we, you know, we win a lot of awards for that stuff because we just push the limits of what's possible in terms of performance and everything. So, you know, if they put it up against, like, another product, we just wipe the floor with it because it's – there's no competition, right? So you win awards and then you've got people going on your website. You've got sort of social proof where you've got awards from GQ and that. You've got credibility where you're in the best stores. Um, and then you've hopefully got sort of beautiful images to sort of back up what it is you're saying. And then hopefully someone's sort of confident enough from just that to be able to buy a product that they haven't seen or touched or felt because it's an online transaction. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, the marketing thing too, like we're, we're still figuring it out, man. Like I, I don't really know how to sort of express to our customers that the brand is just can we do it better? That's it. There's no... I haven't, and I, I want to come up with a better way of saying that too. It sounds so cliche and so it makes me cringe, but that's all it is, right? Like I'll go to a lab and we'll design, you know, at the moment we're doing like a lip balm and it's not a sexy product, but it's sort of like, like how do we make this better? Like can we make it more matte? Can we make it less, it doesn't taste like anything? What SPF can we put in there? Is it great? Blah, blah, blah. Like is the packaging refillable? Is it sustainable? Is it blah, blah, blah. Like it's like, all right, let's make the best thing. Um, and it's just that simple. It's sort of like make sure, and if you do every little bit better, you know, then when someone uses it, they'll probably buy it again and again and again and then tell their mates about it and again and again and again and it sort of builds up. But if the product's shit, they're going to go like, uh, and then like no chance. Weirdly, that bounced and just landed in my coffee cup. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, man, it's good. No, it sounds, it, to be fair, I mean, listening, it, it sounds like you've based it's product and brand. You create the best possible product that you can put to market. And then you've positioned yourself in the right, you know, with the right network connections in the right stores that it's brand perception, you know, and you've, you've been able to build on that without having to focus on marketing as much because you've not necessarily needed to do that. Is that? Is that a fair yeah, assessment? Yeah, it is. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, there's, there's no like process to it. It wasn't like a sort of, it was just as it came, we just took it on. You know what I mean? It was, um, yeah, look, now we're sort of getting into more like collaboration stuff. And, and again, it's sort of to get our products in front of more eyeballs. Um, so it's like, you know, we're doing some stuff with uh, Lamborghini, um, Alpine, F1, Boston Wheels, Former works, um, a bunch of tattoo stuff with Mummy I'm Sorry um, in, in Stuttgart in Germany. Um, and again, these 
these brands just have huge followings that would have no idea about us. But together we can make some really cool shit that gets their, you know, their followers' eyeballs on my brand and, you know, my, my guys onto their stuff as well. Um, so it sort of works well. And, you know, the goal being you're just making cool shit. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and so how, how, how much of the, in terms of kind of your sales, how much of it comes through the website versus kind of your, the partnerships that you have? Yeah, it's about a 70, 30 split. Um, what's what's kind of the, so 70% direct to consumer. Yeah. And 30% is probably retail. Okay. Um, retail is a lot like harder work, you know, you've got to travel and you've got to educate the staff and you know, their, their EDI ordering systems are a nightmare. Um, you know, it's, it's really difficult to, it's hard to get in there. And then once you get in there, you've got to get sell through, otherwise they drop you. Um, but it, if you can do that, it does give you really good credibility. Interesting. Interesting. And you, and it, uh, in terms of, do you, do you run any, um, any paid ads? Any yeah, SEO? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is are those, um, yeah. I might have to jet soon because I've got to pick up my little guy at like five. No and it's worries. Just, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, we can we can jump back yeah. on and do part two. Um, but yeah, because there's a whole other world with like that SEO stuff, and, and I'm not like fully across it. We have like a digital marketing manager in house, and we've got a designer now who designs all the stuff. And you know, they send me ten EDMs, and I tell them nine of them are shit, and then we do one, um, <laughs> and then we go out and like testing different ads. You know, like the hair loss thing. You know, like that's a massive. It's seventy percent of our revenue is like hair loss products. And we never wanted to be a hair loss brand. It was never about that. Um, it was always about making good products. And part of being a good product is that it should stop your hair falling out. But there's so much, like that's such a good acquisition tool. So like if I go out and do a statistic of like 70% of men by the age of 40 will have, you know, male pattern baldness or start to, people just click on it because they're like, oh, fuck, you know, that's me. It's, it's terrifying, right? Um, and they're looking for, so that's a great acquisition tool for me to then get them into the business and teach them about, you know, why you're losing your hair and, and then here's some solutions for it. And depending on how hard you want to go, it's sort of like, you know, using a shampoo and conditioner all the way up to a transplant if they want. Um, and sort of the drugs in between and what the side effects are and what's good and what's bad and figuring out what, you know, works for that person. Um, but then, you know, like mm. I, well, I put a lot of cool images on Facebook thinking that like, fuck, everyone's going to buy this because that looks sick and it just gets no love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, whereas, you know, it seems like if you do a before and after, like, I don't know, shitty black and white picture of a dude that's, you know, been using our stuff for six months, it gets like, you know, a thousand likes and everywhere gets amazing, like, sort of results back to the website, um, sell through kind of thing. It's really interesting. And then, like, the video stuff as well. Like, I've been filming a bunch of stuff for um, for Porsche Australia and then we're kind of documenting the process of, of how we make stuff now. Um, and it's sort of like the more lo-fi and, you know, I don't know, POV I do it, the better it rates, you know, like on YouTube and everything. It's, it's sort of like people see high production stuff and just think, oh, it's an ad, fuck it. You know, they don't want to watch it. Um, whereas like if it's filmed on a phone and it's some dude doing it like sort of a bit like watch me, People like that, you know. It's a weird thing where, you know, you'd think that, like, high production values would equal, you know, more likes or more people watching it, but it just it's the opposite. 
Yeah, no, I've true. It's true. I've seen. I've, I um, I've noticed this guy um in the fitness space. I can't remember his name. Sam Sulik or something, and he's like this twenty-one-year-old, um, like completely juiced mm. up guy. Um, and he's he's got no video production quality. He's just him going to the gym yeah. every day and just sharing his thoughts and millions and millions and millions of of uh, subscribers and views. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes people don't always want the perfectly um, finished uh, kind of production yeah. quality. Uh, it really varies. I think it depends on. It's really about the yeah, content, exactly. isn't it? The content, yeah. the product. You know, it, that's what it comes yeah. down to. So, Patrick, um, I appreciate your time. I know that you, you've got to shoot off shortly. Um, where can my audience kind of find you? I know, obviously, you've got the website. So please just, you know. Yeah, on Instagram, which is a whole, again, we could do part two just on Instagram because yeah. the handle is Patrick's Products um, on Instagram. And then that's that's where okay. I like people to go first just to see what it's all about because I, I think our website sucks. Um, <laughs> but... Then that's about to change to Patrick's. Um, so we're just working with Meta at the okay. moment because, um, again, another sort of we, – we I reckon we should do a part two, Meta, because there's so much more that I think people should know about the back end. Um, I managed to trademark the name Patrick's, yeah. which everyone was like, dude, it'll never happen, you'll never get it, blah, blah, blah. And I got it in the States, which then meant someone had Patrick's as an Instagram handle, but they'd never used the account for like 13 or 14 years or something. Um, and they'd never used it. So there was. No, I went to Meta and just said, oh, is there any chance we can get Patrick's? Um, and we do have the trademark to the name Patrick's. Um, and they were like, yeah, for sure. And just changed Patrick's products because I couldn't get Patrick's to, to Patrick's, which will happen in the next few days. Um, but again, you know, I never thought that would be an issue or something to worry about. Um, and, you know, same as IP and all that kind of stuff. It's There's way more to it, but... But yeah, check us out on Instagram. I'll, I usually email anyone back um, or message people back on Instagram myself. So if anyone needs any like hair loss stuff or needs any business advice or I don't know, wants to have a beer or a coffee, I'm always down and always happy to help. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, and the pro- I mean, the product's amazing. I, I, you know, just the design. Uh, well, it's about to get a whole lot better. I've never seen um, you should see the stuff we've done for, for Lamborghini. It's, it's really fucking cool. Nice. Are you working on any, you've, you're constantly working on yeah. new, new yeah. products? Yeah, so I think we've got like 18 new products sort of in the pipeline um, and some of them won't probably release this year. But yeah, as, as new ingredients come out and new research and new like, you know, we're, we've just started to do clinical trials on all of our stuff as well. So we've got like a proper, because there's, there's all clinical trials done on all the actives separately. Um, but because we combine so many together in one product, um, a lot of the time, there's no sort of there's no clinical evidence on a combination of all those ingredients. So now we're running most of our products through clinicals, so we can say, you know, 85% of guys notice, you know, an increase in hair growth and thickness and hair fall, you know, a decrease in hair fall and all that. Um, which, you know, when you're dealing with hair loss, it's good to have those stats, and so people don't think that you're just selling snake oil or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Mate, sure. I better jet, but Great honestly, stuff. if there's well, anything else, you. just link me up on V2 and because what I would have loved yeah, when we'll, I started we'll out we'll, was we'll, sort of like someone to tell me all this shit, like the, the nuts and bolts of it, you know what I mean? And not just the story. It's like 
you know, how you employ staff, how you fire staff, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's the best Shopify thing to use to start with and how you negotiate with a 3PL and, you know, how do you negotiate shipping rates and compliance in markets and how to dodge sort of tax when you're going into different countries. And, you know, there's a million things that could save people like a lot of time and money just knowing a few little tricks. And I don't know them all. But, yeah, well, yeah. we'll have to get you on for part two then. Yeah, definitely have to get you put on for a, yeah. And we'll, di we'll do a, a real deep dive into to the kind of nooks and crannies yeah. of... Uh, and we'll get Amy on too because she doesn't talk as much as she does, mate. Um, she can just get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's been good. I appreciate it. I like, I like the rawness of, of, you know, like you said, that... I think that's that encompasses who you are, Patrick. You know, you're just a downtown well, type of guy. <laughs> um, With the most annoying laugh no, in the world. Like, Sorry I'm, about that. I'm Probably not... sounds terrible in people's headphones. <laughs> All good. All right, guys. Well, yeah, and, until uh, until next time. Um, over and out.